Would you make your way to 1 Peter chapter 4 today? Uh, we've been in a series of studies here on Sunday mornings at Abilene uh, that we've entitled Great Expectation. And, and really what you'll notice there on the screens, we're talking about how to connect and stay connected. And uh, really what we're talking about uh, is just laying out for you what you can expect uh, from us as a church. If you're a member or a, a soon-to-be member, what you can expect from us as a church, and then what we as a church, of course, uh, expect from you. We started off by looking and learning what the Bible has to say about corporate worship, that worship is not just an opportunity, it is an obligation. We are the church. We have been called out, called together. One day we'll be called up to worship. Worship is a call to battle. Worship is warfare. And then last week we talked about the transforming power of connected community, that life is best lived when it is lived together with your church family, that the church is not a movie theater where you go in and you watch a show. The church is not a store where you see if you like what they have on the shelves. And, and if you don't see what you have, like, if you don't see what you like on the shelves or if you don't like the price, then you just go on down uh, the road to the next store and see if you like uh, the stuff on the shelves and the price that they have uh, down there. We saw that it's not a restaurant where you sit at a table and you're, you're served a great big old meal once a week. It's not a gas station where you pop in for a quick fill up when you realize that you're getting low. And it's not even a gym where you go in and you show off your spiritual muscles. I told them folks out at West a moment ago, so my, my two littles, uh, Ben and John, uh, they're both in sports this year. John is playing football, Ben is running cross country, and uh, so they're getting exercise, and so they're building some muscles, and, and both John and now Ben will come in, and they'll go, hey, look at my muscle, look at my muscle, and uh, that's what boys do, right? Look at my muscles. No, this is not a place where you come in, and you show off your spiritual muscles like you're at a gym. No, the church is that place that helps you believe, it helps you belong, it helps you to be involved, it helps you to be what Jesus wants you to be and to become what he wants you to become. The church is a lighthouse that helps people uh, get out of the dark and home safe because the light of God's truth is always on. It is where outsiders become insiders. It is where some believe their way into belonging and others belong their way into believing. That's what we've looked and learned about uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks. This morning, we're going to build on what we've already learned and we're going to look there in 1 Peter chapter 4, see what he has to say about how we as Christians have been gifted to serve Christ in his church for our good and for his glory. If you've made your way there to 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, say, uh-huh. So notice what Peter says here, and I absolutely love this. It's so encouraging. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all, Things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to, hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability with which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This morning here at the beginning of the message, what I want to do is I want to try to plant something in your mind and in your heart. And here's, here's the truth. 
that I want you to get down and get down really good uh, here this morning. And that is the fact that if you are in the body of Christ, if you are a Christian, if you are saved, then that means that you have received a gift and you are to use that gift in service for the glory of God. That's what God has done for you. If you're saved, you have received a gift and God wants you to use that gift in service for his glory. Now, we're taking notes here this morning because, you know, Dr. Rogers always said that the weakest ink is, is better than the best memory. And uh, if you don't have, if maybe you don't need what we're going to talk about today, but there may come a day when you do need it. And so take some notes here this morning. Pull out your pen, your pencil, your eyeliner, your lipstick, your mascara. Grab that Zaxby's napkin uh, out of your purse. Uh, pull out your phone. There's a precious lady out at West, and every time I ask for folks to take notes, she'll always hold up her phone because she takes all of her notes on her phone. I I don't care how you take it, where you put it. Just put it down somewhere so that if you need it, you can go back and find it, and it'll help you. So we're going to build on a statement here this morning. Here's the first thing that I want you to write down. Number one, every believer is gifted. Just jot that down. Every believer is gifted. Notice what he says in verse 10. Peter says, as each one, just underline those two words, each one, as each one has received a gift. You say, well, I don't know that I believe that. As a matter of fact, Pastor, I think that when he was passing out gifts, he must have skipped over me because I, I don't have a gift. No. If you are in the body of Christ, if you're saved, right, then that means that you have a gift. You have been gifted. Now, it might be one gift. Most likely it's more than one gift. But if you are saved, if you are a Christian, you have at least one gift as a result of being placed into the body of Christ. Now, whenever you begin to talk about spiritual gifts... And we've got one of our precious ladies here, and she'd heard that, that years ago I preached a series on spiritual gifts, and she was asking me, hey, where can I go get that series? And that, that series is so old. I was able to find a, a CD of it the other day, and I listened to just a little bit of it. I sound way different now than I did back in 12. Back in 2012, I sound like Mickey Mouse. But I gave her that series. But whenever you begin to think and talk about spiritual gifts, there, there, there are two words that come to my mind. Number one, is the word fulfillment. Just jot that down, fulfillment. So this is what brings joy to our lives. This is what brings meaning into our lives. And the reason why some of you sitting out there this morning don't really feel connected to the body of Christ, the reason why you don't feel like you're making an impact in eternity is this, you're not serving Jesus anywhere. Because God gave you that gift for a reason. So if God gave you a gift and you're not using it, then you're not going to have fulfillment. You're not going to have meaning. And so if you're not serving, we are suffering. You know why? Because nobody else is exactly like you. There is nobody else in all the world that is just like you. You may have heard that you have a doppelganger somewhere. No, there is nowhere, there's nobody in the world that is exactly like you. You are unique. You are special. You are one of a kind. It's like those little hearts we pass out uh, on, on Valentine's Day. You are special. You are unique. You are one of a kind. Now, it's true then that there's nobody else that can do exactly what you can do in the body of Christ because you've been gifted by God. You're unique, you're special, you're one of the kind. And he's given you this spiritual gift. So what in the world are these spiritual gifts that he's talking about here? Well, I don't have the time, and it's not the intent of this sermon, to go through and give you an exhaustive exposition of all the gifts in the Bible. Let me just put it this way. 
He's not talking about how he saved us. He's talking about why he saved us. That's really what he's talking about here when he talks about these gifts. We have been saved to serve. And so if you're taking notes here this morning, let me give you something to, to put down. So Dr. Moeller always says that in every passage there is something to learn and something to do. This is what I want you to learn. And at the end of the sermon, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. Write down this definition. So if you were raised in a Baptist church, you, you probably have not heard about spiritual gifts all that much. If you were raised Pentecostal, charismatic, uh, something else, you might have heard more about it. Uh, but let me tell you what a spiritual gift is. A spiritual gift is a special ability that God gives to all believers for the purpose of serving others. That's what a spiritual gift is. It is a special ability that God gives to all believers for the purpose of serving others. It's not about you. It's all about him. And it's about him living his life through you. God has given to you a unique gift so that you can use that gift to serve others. Can you imagine what it would be like today? If we were to come in here and, and we weren't using the gifts that God has given to us, it would be more chaotic than it is normally around here, right? So Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth. How many of y'all know that Corinth was a crazy church? Can I get an amen? I mean, they were a crazy bunch of Christians. And so he wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, the Christians at Corinth, and he's talking to them about the importance of every, of every single spiritual gift. And here's what he says in verse 22. He says, no, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. He didn't say that they are weaker. He just said that they seem to be weaker. So let me give you an example of this. So I, I, again, I'm not in the medical field. Uh, there are those of you here and you, you're, you're doctors and nurse practitioners and, and, and you're in the medical field and you've taken all the, the physiology classes and, and all those sorts of things. Um, I, I've got two earned doctorates. I, I read dead languages and yell at people. That's what I do. And so, but those of you that are in the medical field, you, you know that there's a little thing right inside your ear called the labyrinth. And if I'm remembering correctly, it looks like a little seashell. It's really little in there, and you don't even think about it. You, you don't even, you can't see it. But if it's not working the way it's supposed to work, you can't even get out of bed. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And so there are little pieces and parts in your body that you don't think about. You can't see them. But you just pray that they're not going to stop somewhere in the middle of, of this sermon. There are little bee flaps in your heart and little, little bee vessels that close in a, and, and, and little electrical things that go on in your heart. And you're just praying that all those things keep working the way that they're supposed to be working. You know why? Because even though it may seem like they're not necessary, every single organ, every single part of your body is necessary for you to be healthy and happy. And likewise... If you're in the body of Christ, you are necessary. Look at that person sitting to your right and say, you're necessary. Just like I'm saying, you're necessary. Now, look at the person to your left and tell them the same thing because if you don't, they're going to get their feelings hurt, go out of here crying, tell them they're necessary too, right? So you are necessary. Now, Paul goes on to say, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14, he says, For in fact, the body is not one member but many. And then he gives two examples. He says in verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? So years ago, I'm looking through this passage, and, and I noticed we're talking about feet uh, and, and ears. And so I kind of I I worded it this way. The first example is what he calls the fretful foot. 
And the fretful foot is upset because he's not a hand. Can you imagine what would happen if your foot, you get up one morning and you go to step out of the bed and your foot just stops. And you're laying there on the floor and your foot looks up at you and says, I quit. I'm done. I don't want to be a foot anymore. I want to be a hand. I'm tired of being a foot. Stuck down in a stinky sock, down in a, in a hard shoe, walked on all every day. I want to be a hand. Because hands are out there. People talk. How many of y'all are married to somebody that can't talk without their hands? Can I see your, your hands, right? And so I don't want to be a foot anymore. I want to be a hand. Hands are out there and they're, they're expressive and they, they wear jewelry. I don't get to wear jewelry. I'm stuck down in a sock, down in a, in a, in a stinky shoe. I don't want to be a foot anymore. I quit. I want to be a, a hand. And that's the fretful foot. But then there is the envious ear. And the ear says, I'm sick and tired of being an ear. I want to be an eye. Everybody always says, you have the most beautiful eyes. Nobody has ever said, what pretty ears you have. <laughs> and by the way, if somebody ever comes up to you and says, you have beautiful ears, run! <laughs> They're a weirdo, right? Nobody ever says that. And so the, the ear says, I'm tired of being an ear. I want to be an eye colorful and expressive. I'm tired of, of, of being an ear. How many of y'all remember back in the 70s and 80s, the hairstyle for guys was to wear your hair down over your ears. Can I see your hands? How many of y'all remember those days? You, you wanted to, like Bo and Luke Duke on, on Dukes of Hazard. you wanted to wear your, your hair down over your ears. Now, those of you that were raised in independent Baptist churches and Pentecostal churches, you have no idea what I'm talking about because you didn't have a choice either, right? And so, but back in the 70s and 80s, I wanted to wear my hair like everybody else, and I wanted down over my ears because back in those days, my ears were prominent like a former president we had, and my ears were bigger than my head. And so I wanted the hair down to cover my ears, and my mom and daddy wouldn't have it. My daddy said it was a liberal. Those were liberals that did that. <laughs> and so he would take me to this woman to cut my hair, and I said in the, I said in the previous service, I, said, I started saying he took me to a beautician. I didn't go to a beautician. I went to a barber who happened to be a woman, all right? And they would tell me every time I would pitch a fit like my Ben and John are in that stage right now. They don't want their hair. Ben doesn't want his hair cut. He wants it, he wants it to grow everywhere. And as long as, how many of y'all have said this? As long as your feet are underneath my table, you're going to get your hair cut the way I want you to get your hair. How many of y'all heard that, right? How many of y'all heard that growing up? Can I see your hands? How many of y'all said, I'll never say that? And it comes out of your mouth like it's your parents, right? So we take them. And so I would get my hair cut. And my parents would get white walls. How many of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about? How many of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about? Yeah. So they would cut your hair way up over your ears. So you're going the exact opposite of hair over your ears, and they're making a statement. And so that's the way I got my hair cut. So you need ears. You know what? You know, look here. You know why you need your ears? If you don't have ears, where are you going to park your glasses? You need your ears. Your ears are, are necessary. Your ears are necessary. They're necessary. Your ears hear something, and your eyes see something, and your nose smells something, and your hand reaches out and grabs something, and then as a result of that, you put it in your mouth, and your mouth eats something, and then your, your digestive sense of your stomach digests something. Everything fits. Everything works. It's a picture of the body of Christ. 
what I do in the body of Christ. Maybe you can't do. Maybe you could do it better. But this is what I do in the body of Christ. What Dr. Lancaster does in the body of Christ, he does it because that's what God has gifted him to do. Uh, Dr. Sansom does what he does in the body of Christ because that's what God has gifted him to do. Karen does what she does in the body of Christ because that's what God has gifted her to do. Suppose you were to walk into this building this morning and there are light bulbs out everywhere and the place is nasty, it's filthy. The first thing you're going to say is, Pat must be sick. Right? But you walk in here and the lights are out and it's dirty, it's filthy. There's nobody out there in the parking lot to greet you as you pull up. There's nobody to help get you into the building, show you around where you need to go. Nobody's taking care of your kids during the service. Can, can you imagine what that would be like? Now, I'm going to ask you to do something and you're going to do it or we're going to be here to about 4 o'clock. And you're not going to want to do it. I just tell you right now, you're not going to want to do it. But the Bible says rebellion is as witchcraft. <laughs> so if you serve, here's what I want you to do. If you serve in any capacity at Abilene Baptist Church, I don't care if you're a greeter, an usher, uh, you teach a class, you sing in the choir, you play in the orchestra, you keep nursery, uh, you, you, you serve on Wednesday nights, you, you serve in any, in the sound booth, back in the TV room. Uh, the, the, uh, so if you serve anywhere at Abilene Baptist Church, will you stand up where you are seated right now? If you serve in any way, any capacity at Abilene Baptist Church, will you stand up where you sit right now? God bless you. Thank you for your service here at Abilene. You may be seated. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you couldn't stand up. Maybe because you're not a member of this church or you just joined and, and you haven't found a place uh, to serve in this church yet. We got a lot of things going on. Can I say this for you? Be patient with us. Growing churches have growing needs. Growing churches have growing needs. And it might just be that God has led you and your family here because you have a need that can't be met by anybody else in this body of Christ called Abilene. And so again, God has uniquely gifted you to carry out an assignment that accomplishes his purposes in the world. That's fulfillment. God has a purpose in the body of Christ for you. There, there were two boys who wanted to go to a crusade one night years ago, and they got there a little bit late. Place is packed. They're looking around like some of you do on Sunday mornings when we have a big crowd, and you're looking around trying to find a place to sit. And an usher noticed them. They were just about to leave. He said, hey, look, don't, don't leave, guys. I'll find you a spot to sit. So he found them a spot to sit. At the end of the service, when the invitation was given, both of those boys walked down the aisle and gave their life to Jesus Christ. You know what the name of the usher was? Yeah, me neither. We don't know. But one of those boys was named Billy Graham. And he was where he needed to be, sitting what, and hearing what he needed to hear because of an unnamed usher who was doing his job, just doing his job, just fulfilling his role in the body of Christ. My pastor, Adrian Rogers, tells a story. He got a letter from a man one day who said that he was going to take his life. He got up that day, decided he was going to, that was going to be the day he took his life. I don't know whether he was watching TV, but he ended up at Bellevue. He heard Dr. Rogers. Later on, he wrote a letter, and Dr. Rogers gets this letter, and he's reading down through there. This guy had said that he, he had planned on taking his life, but after going to Bellevue that day, he decided not to take his life. So Dr. Rogers is trying to figure out, what did I preach that day? I mean, it must have been good. 
He, start, he starts to get up and, and go look in his files. What was it? Uh, what was, what was, what? But then he kept reading the letter. And here's what the guy said. It wasn't the sermon at all. As he walked out of the building, he's walking across the parking lot, and an usher sees him walk into his car. And the usher waves at him and says, Hey, hey, have a good week. And because of that usher saying, have a good week, he decided not to take his life. When you and I are serving as God has gifted us to serve, it brings fulfillment. But here's the second word that I think about, and that is assignment. Look in verse 10. Peter says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The word steward simply means a house manager. It was a person who was given oversight in charge of the master's house. And so you apply this here to spiritual gifts. This is something that has been given into your hands. You have a special, I'll say it again, you have a special, one-of-a-kind, unique gift. Nobody else is exactly like you. And so the very first thing that I want you to understand here this morning, that's the very first point, is that every believer is gifted. Number two, every believer is gifted to serve. Every believer is gifted. That's who? Every believer is gifted to serve. That's what? Look in verse 10. Serve who? As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. So here's the question. How do you serve Jesus? It says right there. We minister the gift that has been given to us to one another. The word minister simply means to employ, to put to use, to put into action, to meet the needs of somebody else. By the way, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 28? Jesus said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's your purpose. That's what God wants you to do. So how are you to do it? Let me give you several things here. Look at verse 7. You're to do it seriously. You're to do it seriously, he said. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious. Be serious. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have joy. That doesn't mean you can't ha- be happy and enjoy life. That doesn't mean that there that can't be this balance of, of, of laughter and tears. He's just saying that the end is coming and that this is a serious matter. You know why it matters what you do here at Abilene? Those of you that serve in the nursery, those of you that, that work the doors and you're greeters and ushers, those of you that teach classes, those that, that sing on the, on the stage, those that sing in the choir, that play an instrument, those that, you know what, what you do here matters? Here's why it matters. It's serious. Because souls are at stake. This isn't like other places where you serve. This isn't like other extracurricular things that you do. Souls are in the balance as a result of your ministry and service. This is serious. So how do you get serious? He said there, by being watchful in your prayers. By being watchful in your prayers. And that's the way some of our senior adults serve here at Abilene. They pray. They pray for you. They pray for me. You're not going to see their names often on on rosters and roles and and ministries and those sorts of things, but you are going to know that they're praying for you. They're praying for me. And what he's saying here is here, we're needed. We are to serve, he said here, seriously. Number next, we're to do it lovingly. Look in verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. And what he's saying here is that that love costs. The word fervent means to be stretched out. How many of y'all love to go to... um, you love to go to Gatlinburg. Can I see your hands? Raise your hand. You might as well raise your hands. I see you on Facebook anyway. You say, I'm going to block you. No, I know anyway. <laughs> Dr. Lancaster, will, he'll come in. It happens about once a month. And, and he'll, he'll come up and he'll say, hey, I bet you hadn't heard this. And he'll say something. I said, yeah, I knew that. He said, how do you know all this stuff? I said, Jesus tells me. 
Most of the time I just see it on Facebook. <laughs> but you go to Gatlinburg, and if, I've been going there since I was a kid. And so if you remember there on the main drag in Gatlinburg, down there in the corner, there's the taffy store. Remember the taffy shop? How many of you know what I'm talking about? So, and you got that machine in there, and it's pulling that taffy, and it's stretching it out. Well, when he uses the word here, fervent, to be stretched out, he's not talking about some ooey-gooey kind of a love. What he's saying is here that it cost. It's stretched out. It costs something. There's a price to pay for what we do in the body of Christ. There are going to be times, there are going to be times when what you do in the body of Christ, you're going to want to say, I'm done. I quit. I'm done. What you don't realize is that most pastors, we resign on a lot of Monday mornings. There are a lot of Monday mornings after dealing with Baptists all day on a Sunday, we just write out our letter of resignation, and if I could get it to somebody, I'd be done, right? Let somebody else preach. Let somebody else sing. Let somebody else teach that class. Let somebody else play in the orchestra. Let somebody else keep the nursery. Let somebody else man the information center. You say... You can't do that. Why? Because your love has to be stretched out. It's fervent love, and it costs. And what he's saying here is that if you're going to serve and if you're going to love in the body of Christ, it's going to cost you something. Love costs. Another thing that it does, it covers. Look in verse 8. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Let me tell you what I think Peter's thinking back. Peter was in the garden the night Jesus got arrested, Remember? And remember the soldiers show up and Peter pulls out his Baptist Boy Scout pocket knife and he whacks off the ear of that servant. And what does Jesus do? Jesus reaches down, grabs that ear, sticks it back on that servant's head, covering Peter. You know what that means for us today? It just simply means love covers. You ever noticed? Are y'all still there this morning? You ever notice that there are certain people that love to uncover? How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? There are some people... They can't wait to get some juicy something that they can go tell somebody else. It's like they have garbage can ears. I don't know why everybody tells me this stuff, Pastor. I do, because you like it and they know it. Pastor, I don't know why everybody keeps telling me all this stuff. I do, because they've got gossipy tongues. They know you've got gossipy ears. But the Bible says... I don't want to uncover. I want to cover. That's what love says. Remember, remember when Noah and his family, they came off the ark and they came out of that boat? He wasn't perfect. He didn't par every course, every hole. As a matter of fact, there was one time when Noah got drunk and when, when he got drunk, he got naked. Hey, by the way, in Tennessee, there's a difference between being naked and naked. Did y'all know that? Naked means you ain't got no clothes on. Naked means you ain't got no clothes on. You're doing something you ain't supposed to be doing. So Moses is naked. And he's got three boys named Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so Ham sees his father naked, and he goes off to tell somebody. But Shem and Japheth take their coat, and they bagged into that room, and they laid it over and over to cover him up. They wouldn't even look on him while he was naked. They covered his nakedness, and they let him sleep. And that's what Peter's talking about here. Hey, 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 did you hear? Hey, did, did, you ain't going to believe what I heard. Did you hear this? Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. We don't do that here. Churches around this area do that here. We don't do that here. There are churches within this area that are eat up with this stuff. We don't do that at Abilene. And so the next time somebody comes to you wanting to share some little juicy bit of gossip, and they go, hey, have, have, you, have you heard this? You ain't going to believe this. You stop them and say, uh-uh, we don't do that here. 
We don't do that here. Why? Because love covers, love cost. I'll tell you something else that it does. It cares. Look at verse 9. He says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. What does that mean? Well, back in those days, they didn't have Motel 6s. They didn't have Hampton Inns. They didn't have motels and hotels like we have today to stay in, but they had crime like we have today. And so if you were a Christian traveling from one town to another, when you got to that town, you would look up the Christians, and the Christians had to let you stay with them. And so there were some people who were getting tired of that. And so they came to Peter, and evidently they said, we don't like this. We don't like having every time they come to town, they just got to say, I'm a Christian, and they get to stay at our house. Because when they stay at our house, they break stuff. How many of y'all know when people stay at your house, they break stuff? Can I see your hands? Right? My biggest fear growing up, staying over like at a D-Now or something like that, is, is that I was going to break something. Most normally, I was afraid. I was scared to death I was going to break the toilet at the most inopportune time. <laughs> what are you laughing for? You think the same thing. And so, when people stay at your house, they break stuff. You say, that's right, preacher. That's why I don't let those youth stay at my house. No, 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 no. It's just stuff. These are souls. This can be replaced. They cannot be replaced it's just stuff and you're to do it without grumbling that lets me know Peter wasn't a Baptist because the favorite pastime of Baptists is grumbling right so here's the question have you used the gift God gave you this past week at home, at school, at your job, at church, in the community? How have you used God's gift that He has given to you? Have you done it seriously? Have you done it lovingly? Because Peter says, every believer is gifted. And every believer is gifted to serve. Number three, every believer is gifted to serve for the glory of God. So why do we do all this? For the glory of God and for the good of others. Look in verse 11 as we get ready to close. He says, if anyone speaks. And so it, it, what Peter does here, it's almost like he takes all of the spiritual gifts and he divides them into two parts, two, two groups. There are the speaking gifts and there are the serving gifts. And he says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles. It just simply means utterances. In other words, if you're going to talk, talk like God talks. Let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here's what he says. You ought to give the gospel, and you ought to live the gospel. You ought to give the gospel, and you ought to live the gospel. Everything that we do should be done for the good of others and for the glory of God. Amen. Which is why Jesus said, right? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Howard Hendricks was a longtime professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. I mean, the very first time I ever, I ever saw him was actually at Andy Stanley's church back in the day in Atlanta. It's been a long time ago and a lot of theological water under the bridge. And Howard Hendricks, living in Dallas back in those days, he was a frequent flyer on American Airlines. He was flying out this day, and there was a drunk on the plane who was being rude, crude, and obnoxious. I mean, just a jerk. 
Dr. Hendricks watched this flight attendant handle him with grace and class, polite, professional. As the worse he got, the more polite she was. She was first class. When finally the drunk fell asleep, Dr. Hendricks walked back to the back and he found that stewardess and he said, I, I just want to commend you. I, I've never seen anybody handle somebody like that the way you have. You, you have handled him with grace and class. you pro professional and polite. Can, can, I'm a frequent flyer. I, I fly all the time. Can, can you give me your name and your ID or badge number? I want to write a letter to the president of the airlines and just brag on you. And here's what she said. She said, thanks, but I don't do what I do because I work for the airlines. I do what I do because I'm a Christian and I work for Jesus. Amen. And Dr. Hendricks said he went back to his seat and he, as he sat down in that seat, he had this thought. What if every Christian operated the way that that flight attendant operated? I don't do what I do for anybody else, I do what I do because I work for Jesus. I live the gospel. I give the gospel. I don't work for Augusta University. I don't work for the U.S. Army. I don't work for Club Car. I don't work for Coca-Cola. I, I don't work uh, for Southern Company. I don't even work for Abilene Baptist Church. I work for Jesus. And I do what I do with what he's given me for the good of others and for the glory of God.